Caltech, star moving. We're strapping up. Hey, now, just a second here, Steel. I was the fastest dog. You were the fastest? What? Do you honestly think any musher would ever put you on his team? You're even more mixed up than I thought. Steel, it doesn't matter who's on the team. As long as the medicine gets through, stop being such a glory hound. You're 100% right, Jen. I, I, I wasn't thinking about those children. The important thing here is to get the medicine through, and that's just what I'm going to do. And when I come back, I'm going to fold you five ways and leave you for a cat toy. Welcome back to Ramblin', the podcast where we head to the wilderness of Amblin Entertainment, charting the journey taken by the production company founded by Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall back in 1981. I am one of your hosts, Andy Godian. Sorry, and I'm the other host, Joshua Glenn. <laughs> and together we be Ramblin' and Amblin Podcast, and this time we are rambling all about... Um, the, the last film from Amblin's animation wing, Amblimation. That film is indeed Balto. Hence the- my barking. <laughs> Hopefully you know what the film is when you open it on your podcast player of choice. But uh, that's why I did that. Directed by Simon Wells, from script by Cliff Ruby, Alana Lesser, David Stephen Cohen, and Roger S. H. Shulman. Yes, four writers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, any business to attend to up top, Josh? Well, this Glenn? is weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the two of us for the first time in what is a long time now, given our production delays Since and, a and all that business. Woman? Yes, <laughs> which wasn't that many episodes ago, really. But no. for us in human time, you forget we have been stuck in 1995 for a while. So a long time. Been stuck in 1995 like a Siberian husky stuck <laughs> off the off the mountain trail in a blizzard. <laughs> Or whatever, I don't know. It's good, I like that you're trying. <laughs> uh, what's, what's, what's cooking with you, man? Not like I me? saw you the other day. No. <laughs> I've done it with you before this. <laughs> what's pertinent to the listeners? What's pertinent to the listeners? Well, um, I have all my blood now. <laughs> um, <you> might... <laughs> Last episode. Last time I... you heard us, yeah, Andy I, was I slightly was, bloodless. I was one pint blood less than uh, normal, so... Whether that means this will be uh, <laughs> any more coherent, then probably normal, not. Probably not. No. I'm feeling like it's not. No. Then the, yeah. Well, when let's not spoil our opinions <laughs> yet. <laughs> There's a lot to get stuck into still with old Balto. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose there is. For it is a film based on a true story. There's lots to unpack there. Mm. Um, but before we get into all that, I'm going to hand the 
the reins to you, Joshua Glenn, to take us through Synopsis Valley. Uh-huh. Mush. Mush, <laughs> mush, mush. The plot of Balto, Simon Wells, 1995. Uh, it's modern day-ish. It was modern day when this film came out. And an old lady played in real life, in real live action, live action by Miriam Margulies, is walking through Central Park with her granddaughter, not important who plays her, as they as they sit down on a park bench, the grandma begins regaling the little girl with a tale. Flashback to Nome, Alaska, in 1925, when wolf dogs were friends with Russian snow geese and everything was animated. <laughs> we meet Balto, voiced by Kevin Bacon, a Siberian husky arctic wolf hybrid, and Boris Gusinov, voiced by Bob Hoskins, as they watch a sled dog race as it runs through the town. The winner, as usual, is the vicious and arrogant Steel, voiced by Jim Cummings of Winnie the Pooh fame. Indeed. But not the original Winnie the Pooh. No, he was uh, post-70s, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he does a lot. He crops up everywhere. Yeah, he's around. Uh, who's a black and white Alaskan Malamute who plays dirty and competes with Balto for the affections of Jenna, uh, voiced by Bridget Fonda, a copper and white Siberian husky. Jenna, that is, not Bridget Fonda. <laughs> Jenna belongs to Rosie, voiced by Juliet Brewer, a sweet little girl who is only who is the only human in town to show kindness to Balto. That's They're true. all really weird with him because he's yeah, half dog, wolf. half wolf. Like that's out of the ordinary for whatever reason. Yeah, even when dogs clearly step on his paw. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the things the humans don't see in this film that are right in their peripheries of their. We'll get into that later on, I'm sure. <laughs> Anyway, that night, Rosie, along with seemingly every other child in town, falls ill to diphtheria. Unfortunately, severe weather conditions shut off air, sea and rail as potential means to get the medicine to the town. The local bearded men thus hold the dog race to find the most durable mutts to make up a sled dog team that will travel to Nanana. <laughs> that will travel... I haven't uh, said this aloud. Nanana? Nanana. 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 The place. Is that where that it where starts? Collecting the, no, the, it's Nome where it starts. Where, where are they? Nome's the town, isn't Nome it? Nome is the town, but yeah. they've got to go to Nanana. I think it's to collect the. It sounds about right. Yeah. Anyway. Apologies. That will travel to Nanana. out there. <laughs> to Nanana to uh, and collect them medicine in lieu of. I'm gonna start this paragraph again. Okay. Breath. The local bearded men thus hold a dog race to find the most durable mutt to make up a sled dog team that will travel to Nanana and collect their medicine in lieu of planes, trains and automobiles. Though Balto wins the race, Steele pulls one of his dirty tricks and gets him disqualified, stamping on his foot to make him howl like Andy just pointed out, which makes the humans think he's violent, Uh, meaning that he gets to lead the sled team that heads out that night. They manage to make it to Nanana and pick up the medicine successfully, but on the return, Steele is unable to locate the way home and then swiftly becomes lost. As word reaches the town that the party appears missing, he decides to head out. Balto, that is. I forgot to (laughs) use the wrong (laughs) pronoun. Balto decides to head out and rescue them, ostensibly to get the medicine that will save Rosie, but we all know that he's only bothered about making Jenna fancy him. (laughs) It's all a big peacocking ceremony. It is a bit, isn't it? Uh, before he can go, though, he manages to convince the annoying goose to go with him. And, as further punishment to the audience, the goose's polar bear nephews, Muck and Luck, voiced by Phil Collins, are both also along for the ride. <laughs> well, both insofar as <laughs> well, the other one, one actually, yeah. 
Uh, will Bolto manage to find the sled team, bring the medicine to Rosie in time, defeat Steel, convince the village to love him, and have a dog snog with Jenna? Will a horrible tragedy befall the characters and mean that the goose and polar bears die deservedly horrible, horrible deaths? And what about Togo, the real hero of the story that this movie is very loosely based on? Only some of these questions will be answered to a satisfying degree. Justice for Togo. <laughs> we'll get to Togo. <laughs> um, clearly not a film <laughs> whose animal sidekicks you. There were so to... <laughs> many of the animal sidekicks. You think you've seen them all, and then suddenly there's five more. It's mad. We'll get into them because I have some thoughts and feelings about too. the side, uh, the side about the side animals. <laughs> He's not looking me in the eye. <laughs> He's generally annoyed oh, by these animals. God. <laughs> They've riled him up, kids. <laughs> I had the day off work yesterday because I worked over the weekend and I worked late on Monday. And I thought, I'm excited for a nice day to myself. And I had to watch this shit. <laughs> I had to watch this movie. <laughs> Boris Goosenoff. Boris Goosenoff. And Phil Collins. Phil Collins doing your pony bear routine. <laughs> <laughs> so... From the tone of your voice, I'm going to say there's not the warm, embalming uh, casing of nostalgia around Balto for you, Josh Glenn. So what is your prior connection <laughs> to Balto? Had you had you seen it before? No, were I... Were you were aware of the tale? I was not... Neither, in fact. It's a movie I didn't think I was aware of at all until Andy... Okay, Andy and I have got a weird little um, 90s little movie cineast... Uh, a weird little thing that we have is that we recall a lot of video cassette yes. starting bits. <laughs> I made a mouthful out of saying that, didn't I? One of the weird little side effects of us becoming uh, film fans, you know, in the late nineties, means that we memorized an awful lot of um, the starting like ten minutes of video cassettes. Yeah. So a lot of the trailers and stuff are ingrained into our heads. <laughs> and ahead of, I think it was it was Casper, wasn't it? It was on the Casper video. We were yeah. watching the we found on YouTube the opening ten minutes of the Casper mm. VHS. And we watched that. And then this little animated dog film comes on. And you went, oh, that's, that's Balto. We're doing that soon. And I recognized it. I buried it in my head yeah. a long, long time ago. But I recognized the trailer from the Casper video, which I did have as a kid. So that's the only mm-hmm. knowledge of Balto I had. And, and I'd forgotten. It was in a memory hole until uh, yeah. the Casper recording, which was probably like five years ago at this point. <laughs> Uh, but what about you? Have you uh, seen it before? Haven't you? I'd seen it before. Uh, similarly, I more recall the trailer mm. um, from having watched Casper a lot more than Balto in my youth. <laughs> but I had certainly seen Balto before. Um, once as a child and once not, I guess in the grand scheme, not that long ago. It was mm. about... I'm trying to think now. We're 2023. Probably about six years ago. That's quite recent. Why? Yeah. I, I was writing a article about amblimation for oh. film stories. Um, fated to end up here. Fated really? to end up here indeed. I was planting the seeds from long ago. <laughs> um, but then I, I remembered, I didn't, it was one of those sort of times where I was just kind of watching it for the sake of establishing context for myself. Yeah. Rather than anything else. Taking notes. and Yeah. Mm. Um, much like I was this time, but like I, I had remembered it fondly 
both from childhood, probably namely that trailer. Yeah. And I thought I liked it the last time I saw it because I because <laughs> I think like there was all I remember having it's a film that has come up at uni when meeting people a few times mm. um, as Big like a nostalgia button. Um, but it's it's not one I've really thought about since, but mm. it is one that I think plays a, a very interesting part in this run of films that we're in, and particularly when it comes to the ill-fated studio wing of Amblin, <laughs> that is Amblimation. <laughs> I'd say the late great, but... <laughs> really. It, 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 it was here for a time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so if you're you me, I'll do a, a previously on Amblimation. Uh, now, dear listeners, cast your mind back to the year 1988. The land before... T- oh, we're going to do a little sound effect. <laughs> 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 we'll take that again. We'll take that again. I was going to do a little harp, you know, the harp sound that accompanies... Mm. I'm into it. I don't even know what the sound would be, though. Now, dear listeners, cast your mind back to the year 1988. It wasn't even worth it at all. How do you do a harp sound? Uh, that's nice. Okay. Get ready to hit play on that. <laughs> Wait. Let's do it again. For fuck's sake. Okay. Now, dear listeners, cast your mind back to the year 1988. The Land Before Time has been a nice hit for Spielberg and Amblin, and for filmmaker Don Bluth, following in the similar success of 1986's An American Tale. Spielberg, buoyed by such success, decides to set up his own animation house to rival that of Walt Disney Pictures, and he names it Amblimation, uh, with An American Tale's Fievel as its Mickey-shaped mouscot. Mascot. Like mascot, but because he's a mouse. More difficult to say than you might think mouse. (laughs) Yes. The studio sets up shop in London, but Spielberg and Bluth part ways, citing Mm. creative differences. And it's his animators Phil Nibelink and Simon Wells who come in as the lead creatives at the studio. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, they do. (laughs) Once established in West London, Acton to be precise, Amblimation Studios began production and development on four animated features at once. These were Fievel Goes West, We're Back, A Dinosaur's Story, Balto, and Cats. More on that later. (laughs) (laughs) Balto was set to be... Oh, you... No, no, no. no. I was going to sing Mr. Mistopheles, but I decided against it. No one really needs that, We'll get around to it. Don't worry, you can do that all you want in 2019. We can take as long as we like getting there. <laughs> Balto was set to be the third release from Amblimation, and it was eyeing up a Christmas 1995 release. But it ended up having a lot more pressure on it than the filmmakers would have predicted back when all the movies first went into development in 1989. As you may recall from our episodes on Fiber Goes West and We're Back, they were both critical and financial disappointments. Particularly We're Back, which had a troubled production that overran on time and money, ultimately the, the, with the film making just nine million at the box office <laughs> off of its reported 20 plus million dollar budget. God, that was a real stinker, wasn't it? <laughs> and Fiverr was that made more money, didn't fare much better. 
So, Balto needed to be a hit for Amblimation to continue making strides, as animation is not a cheap endeavour. Simon Wells, who had co-directed 1991's Fievel, had little to do with We're Back, was leading the charge for Balto, which was based on the true story of the sledge dogs that helped save children infected with diphtheria in, ni- in the 1925 serum rum to know. Mm-hmm. A little bit for you on the on the backstory, if you will. <laughs> we're gonna of, get we're uh, gonna get stuck into we're the getting dog. stuck into the dog because this is the most interesting element of this. This is I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just open up the case. <laughs> the Balto Togo, the, the, the Balto Togo conspiracy. <laughs> Humans slugging off dogs. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, as you could tell from Josh's synopsis, this is very much a fanciful fable. Mm. Um, talking dogs running all over the shop. Talking animal sidekicks, plentiful. Um, and Balto himself is characterized as an outcast mm. and as a half wolf, half dog. And in reality, there was indeed a dog called Balto involved in the sledge run to help bring medicine across Alaska to save the, the children of Nom. Mm. Nom? 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 <laughs> you say how you want to say But unlike the wolf dog hybrid that he is in the movie, the real Balto was a purebred Siberian husky and was black and white in colour. You bet he was. And he was never an outcast street dog, as shown in the film. <laughs> he was instead born in a kennel owned by the famous mushroom breeder Leonard Seppala, who raised and trained him until Balto was deemed fit to be a sled dog. Other, way, other ways the film takes liberties with history is the sled run itself, which was, in fact, a relay rather than a solo run, yeah. as depicted in the film. 20 sled teams participated, with the longest and most hazardous distance actually travelled by the 18th and third to last team, which was led by Leonard Seppler as the driver and a dog named Togo as the leader of, of that team. Who was actually quite a bit younger than... The Balto at the time, because yeah. because Wikipedia lists their birth dates and death dates. <laughs> Togo, October seventeenth, nineteen thirteen. Two of the uh, most famous dogs of all time, <laughs> and he died quite a bit before Balto as well. Actually, yeah. I wonder if there was a bit of uh, a foul play there. <laughs> now, Togo, Togo lived a quite a happy retirement after because he particularly took a bit of a battery mm. from this run. Yeah, because um. Uh, where most teams ran an average of 31 miles each, Seppler and Togo ran over 250 miles. And since that, the very first run, uh, the, since the end of the run, there's been some considerable controversy surrounding, surrounding Balto's mm. use as a lead dog and Togo's position in this story. As Bo- uh, Balto was originally only scheduled to be part of the penultimate team, which was to be led by a dog called Fox. And although they were scheduled to hand off the serum to the final team, the driver of Balto's leg, Gunnar Kassen, decided to advance on. They became the last team to carry the medicine into Nome, although much has been contested on the facts of Balto's part in this run. It was believed that, at most, Balto was co-lead with Seppler's dog Fox, but because he had a more heroic and marketable name, and as uh, the film Togo would lead you to believe, People would be confused that it was an actual fox leading the sled run. Uh, Balto was very much chosen to be the figurehead for the media. Wait, why? Is Togo a famous fox? No, um, oh! this, this, for just this run. For Idiot. Fox being yeah, because this is a dog, dog for, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Um, Balto <laughs> very much became the figurehead for the media, with him and Gunner going on some becoming celebrities, much to, dis- to the dismay of Seppala, who believed Togo deserved much more of the credit. <laughs> As Seppala said, I hope I shall never be the man to take away credit from any dog or driver who participated in that run. We all did our best. But when the country was roused to enthusiasm over the serum room driver, I resented the statue of Balto. For if any dog deserved special mention, it was Togo. <laughs> you just imagine this bitter drunk old man in Central Park yelling at a statue. <laughs> You're not Togo! You have the dog Togo word! <laughs> You're not even fit to carry my slippers! <laughs> In your mouth. Uh, oh, okay. fetch me the newspaper. <laughs> in your mouth. I can understand Leonard Seppler's uh, dismay at the time, being the man who did most of the legwork, and simply mm-hmm. just because he wasn't the last one to bring the serum into town, well, the attention was. Mm-hmm. Um, history so had it to the bit to go to spoils, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do the final leg in the relay race. And there you it, go. It, you, you do get, the, you get, you do get the more glory. the glory. Um, and Balto, to this day, is still the more famous and known to the general public, despite there being many misconceptions about his and Cassin's fame and part in the serum run. The contribution of Alaskan natives as well, whose teams covered nearly two-thirds of the run, is often heavily obscured in text about the 1925 serum run. And according to the New York Times, the overlooking of Togo still infuriates mushers. <laughs> What's the matter, Dad? <laughs> I'm just thinking about how Togo <laughs> gets so overlooked. And many think Cassin ended up running longer than he was meant to because he simply wanted the glory. Yeah. And uh, as was seemed to be proven by the fact that he very much went on the vaudeville tours that were with Balto and the rest of the team. That's uh, the movie I want to see. I want to see, well, the, I really want to yeah. see that movie. Uh, a statue of Balto sculpted by Frederick Roth was erected in New York City's Central Park on December 17th, 1925, a mere 10 months after the event itself, uh, with Balto and the rest of his team then going on something of a press tour, if you will. Um, and even then, once that statue was up, the lights of Seppler were quite quick to voice their disappointment. Yeah. When Cassin decided to return home to Alaska, Balto and the rest of the dogs were sold to the highest bidder by the company who sponsored his tour. The dogs ended up chained in a small area in the Novelty Museum and Freak Show in Los Angeles. But while visiting Los Angeles one year, George Kimball, who was a former prize fighter turned businessman from Cleveland, was shocked to discover the dogs were unhealthy and badly treated. Kimball then worked hard together with the newspaper The Plain Dealer to bring Balto and his team to Cleveland, Ohio. And on March 19, 1927, Balto and his six surviving companions were brought to Cleveland and given a hero's welcome in a triumphant parade. The dogs were then taken to the Brookside Zoo, now known as the Cleveland Metro Park Zoo, where Balto lived out the rest of his days happily uh, before passing away in 1933. Why did Togo live out the rest of his days? Togo went out to, uh, stayed in Alaska um, and was sold to a family, although Seppala still went to go visit him. Mm -hmm. And he became very much a prized um, breeder. So because Togo was such a 
respected and renowned sled dog. Because Balto couldn't. Could Balto he? had been he was spayed. spayed. Yeah. yeah, 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 beforehand. Um, um, so yeah, Togo became a breeding dog and spent the rest of his days siring. I mean, siring. Ultimately, pups. Balto may have got the legacy and all the quote-unquote glory at the time, but Togo had the better oh, yeah. life. He'd rather have a nice family and you know get a bit of tail here and there. Exactly. And uh, uh, <laughs> Togo was voted by Time in 2011 <laughs> as the bravest dog who ever lived. So who's one now? <laughs> the kids of Seppala were just raised on. <laughs> you must rectify history, kids. <laughs> on his deathbed. <laughs> Dad, I love you. Thank you for everything. <laughs> you must promise me one thing. <laughs> we must topple Balto. <laughs> Togo will have his day. There, I should note as well, there is a pretty decent film about Togo on uh, Disney+. I saw you. Um, I didn't know that until Defoe. I saw you <laughs> logged on Letterboxd. I, I came and went in like 2019. Mm. It was like one of the first like original movies that was part of the launch, I think. It was pretty right, good. Right, right, right. It, it adds some nice colour to the story. Lots of good, mm. cute dog business because he, he was a rapscallion when he was little. Is Balto in uh, Balto Togo? Is in it, yeah. is, he, um, is he diminished? Is he severely he's, diminished? It's very much part of the team of fox that comes into yeah. the town at the end and then it's left who there. plays um boris gusevich <laughs> unknown and <laughs> see a fucking geese <laughs> in, all, in all of alaska in that movie <laughs> um gusenov sorry gusenov uh, racist of me isn't it i think Goose. <laughs> um, even after Balto's death, though, um, the controversy would rage on, and not just about his part in the serum run. Um, after his death, his remains were mounted by a taxidermist and donated to the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. And in 1998, a short while after the movie had been released, the Alaska legislature passed HJR 62. The Bring Back Balto <laughs> Resolution. <laughs> Vote off on HJR 62. Uh, the Cleveland Museum of Natural History, however, declined to return Balto. <laughs> <laughs> and it was in October 1998, however, that a compromise was found and Balto was let out for a five-month stay at the Anchorage Museum of History and Art, which drew record crowds. And he was part of another exhibit there in 2017. <laughs> the, the third movie in my imagined Balto trilogy is I want to see like a warhorse type story just following the, the, the handling of the remains of Balto. Oh, my boy, just let the boy rest. He didn't know what was going on. <laughs> he just wanted sausages. Yeah. So there is quite the history behind this tale. And the story itself is quite a fascinating one. Yeah. Uh, but instead, the Amberlin approach is to craft more of a myth-making fable, <laughs> perpetu- perpetuating certain myths of Balto, while only really following the facts incredibly loosely. Mm. With their story and a team of writers getting to work, voice recording for Balto took place at the bridge facilities in London between 19, late 1992 and early 1993. One Brendan Fraser was originally cast as Steele. Should we, should we set our stall out and say the newly Oscar-minted Brendan Fraser? Because will this come out before the Oscars or after the Oscars? It comes out the day of the Oscars. Sure, 
March 12th. We won't know. The, the, oh, we'll not know. <laughs> we'll not the know. Maybe? The Min- maybe? The maybe now minted? <laughs> the now minted SAG award winning <laughs> yeah. Brendan Fraser. <laughs> uh, was originally cast as Steel because director Simon Wells had envisioned him as a school quarterback jock mm. carried away by his sense of importance. More on this in a bit because mm. this intrigued me. <laughs> Curious. And felt that Fraser fit that personality well. It's Airhead's time, right? This is when he was in Airhead's time. Yeah, Airhead's Yeah. Um, according to Wells, I like Brendan a great deal. And we did one recording session with him that was just terrific. However, it was Spielberg who wanted a clearer sense of Steele's <laughs> inherent evil. Have <laughs> uh, <laughs> you ever heard Peter Sofini which talk about George Lucas's direction? When he was voicing Darth Maul. I must have done back in the day. <laughs> must have done. You do a line and George would come in. Yeah, that was, uh, that was really good, uh, Peter. Um, one note, though. Could you uh, could you make him more evil? <laughs> At last, we'll have our <laughs> So, believing Fraser could not be inherently evil enough, he was replaced by the ever the um, veteran, vocal veteran, mm. Jim Cummings. Yes. With Wells stating that Cummings did a fantastic job and totally made the character live. So I don't regret, regret the choice. Not I that someone... it sounds like he had much choice yeah. in the matter. <laughs> I need someone who's evil. Let's get the voice of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's done so many voices. Yeah, 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 like yeah, a yeah. lot of Transformers guys. A lot of, a lot of evil Transformers guys. <laughs> Conquistador and Rotel Dorado. That was a Jim Cummings. Oh, <laughs> Some good Scooby Doo stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Everyone just needs to do some good, some Scooby Doo stuff. Be a pretty sweet, cushy gig, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, Hanna Barbera, in-house vocalist. Because mm-hmm. they keep you on, they keep you on the books for a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but after the actors recorded their voices, animating and filming commenced their amplification in London on March first, nineteen ninety-three. Uh, to have a source for the dog's character animation to be based on. The filmmakers brought in about seven Siberian Huskies and videotaped them walking around the studio. Although most of the film's animation was hand-drawn, the animators used tunes to improve the graphics and also created snowstorms using an early CGI particle animation system. I, I, and my instinct was, oh, you cheating bastards using this tunes thing. But I know it's been used it was a lot. Thing in the, yeah, I think the Princess, yeah, Princess Mononoke was Mononoke's, tunes. Um, there's Futurama, quite a few. SpongeBob, lot of yeah. TV animations, stuff like that. I my guess neighbors, the like Yamadas. A, I think that's yeah, another one yeah, of these yeah. tunes. Is it just like a cleanup tool? To get rid of yeah, it, it's just a way of like also getting it into. It just makes it much easier to edit it all together yeah. as well by making it by scan, putting it into a software. Job. Yeah, that makes sense. And composite with digital effects yeah. too makes it mu- makes all that much easier to do. <laughs> so begrudgingly, I can't hold this against yeah. Volto, but I'll find something else. <laughs> I'll find something else to hold against it. Um, some additional animation Ma- was done by a Danish studio called A Film Production, um, and they were quite pressed for time with getting a lot of these shots finished with Simon Wells often finishing shots himself when he felt it was too menial a task to ask his animators to get on with. There's apparently like objects or things that weren't quite in frame so he would just go in and finish them off yeah. himself. What with having been a, um accomplished and experienced animator himself. Um, reflecting on making the movie, Wells has said, we calculated that we could only have a limited amount of visual effects work in the picture and so we'd have to make hard choices between footprints or shadows 
and we often couldn't afford to do both in most shots. We spent a lot of time figuring out what we could get away with leaving out. So, as whilst it doesn't sound like the production was quite as strained as, say, something like We're Back, mm. it definitely still seems to have been, which is something I think has been a common thing, thing for the last two films as well, where it's just a sense that not everyone is quite prepared for mm. the job. Yeah. Almost Maybe like a little a too bit out of their element. Yeah, not quite experienced enough for that kind of like leading this charge. Yeah. Or from both the filmmakers um, route and also a producer. Oh, sure. I don't think Spielberg. Because that was Blue's like big his. problem. Was it the first American tale saying that Spielberg's of like an ideas man? I'll come in generally. Yeah, you're like, we was, can't. You can't do that with <laughs> animation. Do that. <laughs> the lead time is months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you're going to see. Um, Enthusiastic as he was, that might have just been compounding. Yeah, the uh, the resources issues. and money yeah. being limited as it was makes a job like this quite hard, particularly when you've got quite epic ambitions with yeah how the film looks and the kind of story that you're telling. And mm. uh, so, with the two films before it underperforming in the box office and the Disney Renaissance very much now in full swing. Well, we'll come back to that later on because mm. the shadow of that looms large. Looms large. Could Balto do enough to keep Amblimation alive? Well, what do you think, Josh? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, let's find out. Balto was released in the US over the Christmas weekend of 1995. Sadly, opening in 15th place on its opening weekend, <laughs> earning $1.5 million from a total of 1,427 theatres. Opening 15th is rough. It went on to gross just $11.3 million domestically over its run off of a $31 million budget. Much of its box office disappointment is pinned on the fact that one month earlier, a certain Disney Pixar film had been released. That being Toy Story, which was still doing gangbusters at uh, at the box office. And was very much still the family movie of choice over the holiday season. Well, you know what that is. Great. Because it's masterpiece. (laughs) Balto's disappointing box office would indeed prove to be the final nail in the coffin for Amblimation. With its in-development Cats animated movie being shut down despite sets having been made and a lot of design work having been done because they were going to animate characters on sets. Mm. That was the that was the approach. Put a pin in that for yeah. about uh, twenty years, mm. twenty five years, twenty four years. <laughs> twenty four. Doing maths on the <laughs> Amblimation shut its doors for good in nineteen ninety seven, with all two hundred and fifty of Amblimation's crew members going on to join DreamWorks Animation, recently set up by Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, mm-hmm. and David Geffen. As for the London office buildings which stood in Acton, it went on to become the self-storage facility Access Self Storage, which it still is to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so out of the uh, out of the ashes of failure comes <laughs> a success story. Yeah. I'm sure if you'd like turned up there and say, Excuse me, sir, this is where Emblemation once was. <laughs> I wonder if they've kept anything. <laughs> Maybe they've got the remains of Bolto. Maybe they're storing the remains of Bolto. <laughs> As for Bolto, though, this wouldn't be the last time we would see him in film form. <laughs> <laughs> 
As despite his underperformance at the box office, Balto did do well on home video, leading to two director video sequels, Wolf Quest in 2002 and Wings of Courage in 2004, made by the Universal Cartoon Studios, with animation being done overseas by the Taiwanese studio Wang Film Productions. Uh, did you look up the sequels at all? Um, only insofar as I saw them mentioned, I, I had I, so little energy. I I had so little um, <laughs> willingness to elongate my time in this movie. What do you think Wolf Quest is about? <laughs> <laughs> Probably some really poorly managed um, uh, uh, Native American. Um... Yep, you're on the money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots I, of spirit guides. I imagine and, it's uh, <laughs> horribly done. <laughs> All voiced by Jim Cummings. Uh, it's about Balto's daughter. He has a Jenna. Mm. One of his well, daughters. That's one of the things. There's a really funny um, Neil deGrasse Tyson-esque historical differences yeah. section on, on Wikipedia. Yeah. Actually, he was spade, so uh, <laughs> as the sequels portray him. <laughs> and uh, what do you think Wings of Courage is about, based off that title alone? <sighs> Boris Gusinov comes back and flies himself. Well, he's in both of them, don't worry. Voiced not, by, not voiced by Bob Hoskins. Voiced by Charles Fleischer. Oh, voice no of way. Roger Rabbit, oh, yes. Oh, man. That's a shame for Charles. Um, I don't know. Eagles? Some eagles? Uh, Balto and the other sled dogs have been feeling neglected since aeroplanes have started taking all the right. deliveries, while the hus- which the Huskies used to be responsible for. Yeah. But Balto soon finds himself on a rescue mission. All right. Why? <laughs> Wings of change, man. Wings of change. <laughs> that film also includes in its voice cast Sean Astin and Carl Weathers. Oh wow! <laughs> you got brother. You got a stew going. <laughs> the wings of change. So wait, wings of change or wings of courage? Wings of courage. You've been saying wings of courage. <laughs> I've, no, got, I've got. I've got wings, wings of, of change. change. It's wings of change. I'm so sorry. Uh, sorry, Balto Free. <laughs> shh, shh, you hear that? That's the wings of change. change. <laughs> Monsters Inc. is a good movie, isn't it? Oh God, we should just talk about that instead. That's a movie. We I've often do this whenever we yeah. come face to face with a film that neither of us are too hot on. Yeah, you try to curb the conversation to other films. Yeah. I particularly listen back to the Always episode as an example of that. There's about five different points where you're just like, should we talk about that? Because um, oh, it's Keith David in that, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I always want to talk about Keith David. Keith, Keith I think David I've recently bit. watched um, There's Something About Mary. <laughs> yes. And also I've been doing a few Carpenters, so he was very fresh. Very fresh. Very fresh in the noggin. Very fresh, Keith David. <sighs> Great in community as well. So good. People tend to overlook how good seasons five and six were, and I don't like that. You're doing it again. I <laughs> <laughs> some very good stuff in the back. I agree. Back two seasons. Of You're only saying stuff I agree with to get me to not talk about Balto, aren't you? Take the bait. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> now, I was Josh. nice that we had for dinner, wasn't was it? Nice. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> All right, follow me. I can lead you home. We don't need your help. Well, maybe we should listen to him. <laughs> well, uh, how would you get us home, Dave? Well, I, I mark the trail. Like this. Oh, yeah. I'll get us back. I'm the lead dog. I'm in charge. Then let me take back the medicine. They're getting sicker. 
Steel takes them. You're on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Steel, I'm not leaving without that medicine. Who do you think you are? Hey, this is gonna be good. <laughs> since, since when do you need a pedigree to help someone? Steel, let me help you. Look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. <laughs> Now, Josh, what? I, <laughs> I'm trying to think where to start here. Because, as it's, I'm sure, come obvious mm. to you, listener, Bolter hasn't doesn't <laughs> doesn't hold up. <laughs> um, and only particularly for me, as I got into the more the true story of this, and became fascinated by the kind of like you, like you were saying, this kind of like clash of mm. cult, the clash within this culture of dog mushers. <laughs> yeah. Over who deserved more of the praise, and how this uh, this one dog ended up kind of being the symbol for it all, and something very much perpetuated by this mm. film existing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, what were your initial impressions of the Adventures of Balto? Well, I had quite an open mind. We never. This is not a hate. I mean, sometimes we can get a bit snide, I guess, and a bit silly. Like I'm feeling today. But we never watch these films with the intention of disliking them. Mm-hmm. And I, I did hope to like it because it's pretty. Yeah. Certainly pretty. But you have this weird little... There's, this is out of all of the emblemation films and the, the two pre-emblemation films. This is the one that's most nakedly trying to be a Disney picture. I think mean, to me, mm-hmm. this reads as really Spielberg trying to have his Lion King. Yeah. Really, really strikes me as this is going to be ah, because it's always striving for this big, po faced self seriousness, whilst at the same time having 12,000 Zazus on the side. Yeah. And Timons and Pumbas. And it's just, it's such an irritating butting of. It is. Of means to ends. Um,. I just quickly quickly found it very tiresome. <laughs> and those 78 minutes. That's the thing about the animation films, man. They are They're very all, short, aren't they? They are, but they all feel so much longer than... <laughs> yeah. No, something's not working. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Because you were a bit kinder on this than I was. You you were a bit more forgiving, or seemingly I, I so, guess anyway. it's, again, it, as often comes down with these movies, there's a it's, slight fuzziness that you get from Yeah, it. yeah. And I do think it's, I do think it's just, I think quite comfortably as well, the strongest of the amplification. Of the three, three. probably is, yeah. Um, which might be damning the faint praise. Oh, it certainly is. Um, but a shadow of a doubt it is, yeah. But it's certainly the most together, shall we say, yeah. of the three. Yeah, it feels the most like it's gotten from point A to point yeah. B um, with the sense of intention that yeah. is in yeah. the design and in the story. Going for this, like like you say, it does often feel like trying to ape the Lion King. Mm. And even the way that the adventure itself was set up, I kept thinking, oh, mm. is Bolto Aladdin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Outcast. I was yeah. half expecting him to just start breaking in a song going, riff, rap, street <laughs> <Yeah>. dog. <laughs> you know how the, the cheap NAF Disney animations, well, NAF's a bit of a harsh word, some of the cheaper, more penny-pinching animations that Disney made in the 60s and 70s, like... Uh, Robin Hood and stuff like that. Mm. They would just trace over yeah, previous yeah, animations. Like... But he did feel like um, Steel was just Scar 
and his little cronies were the hyenas. There was, yeah. there was the, the whole uh, 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 behavior and attitude of them was very much because <laughs> there's e- and there's even like moments where they kind of like really just mm. steal even like steal as in S T E A L, not steal the steals. Um, there's even like framings of animation that like are really yeah. like that. There's it's in the trailer as well where. Balto and Steel are having a fight and Balto gets thrown against a, a rock face and it's a rare background. Mm. And if you didn't know what you're watching, you could think that was plucked out of the final act fight in totally. The Lion King yeah. set against the volcano. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it, and even the way the goose, what's it, Boris, Boris, Boris the goose, goose voiced by Bob Hoskins, and introduced in the same way that kind of like, um, I forget the name of the seagull and... In the Little Mermaid, but remember, there's that whole bit in the kitchen where oh god, damn. him and uh, I, I think it's more Sebastian um, are running around in the kitchen trying not to get killed by the chef. Um, oh yeah, yeah. That is, and that, that whole kind of Buddy Hackett. Yeah, that whole bit is in this as well. Yeah. So it is feel, does feel like it's cherry picking yeah. from Disney, and particularly. It, it, it harks back to older ones as well, which mm. you can maybe more appreciate as something a bit more of a tip of the hat and a kind of acknowledging the work of your yeah. forebearers. But like a lot of the a lot of the other kind of big swathes of it, particularly when it comes to as you said, the villain setup, the sidekick setup, the hero setup, <laughs> yeah. are all cribbed from Disney films it's from crazy. within the last like four yeah. years building up to this. It reads <laughs> of like it's sort of, and I hate to invoke these. Studios at a time when fatigue is very much setting in, but it does feel like DC running to play catch up with Marvel. Like Emblemation, you know, Kennedy and um, Marshall are gone by this point, but Spielberg yeah. looking towards Disney and thinking, ah, oh, well, he's Paul Katzenberg who's leading the yeah. charge in this thing. Thinking, oh, I can do that, right? I can. Do, I'm the creative one. He's the business. I'm the, I can do this. And he's trying to leapfrog and he's trying to get to where they are, uh, Disney, where Disney are, without doing the work or without really understanding what. I mean, in his case, very, very literally not understanding what goes into animation. And there is, as a result, uh, there's a soul missing, isn't there? There's something... Mm, something doesn't quite click. Yeah. Even, even when it comes down, and I think this might be part of it as well, is the... There's a slight disconnect to the way the characters are kind of... on are on the page and how they... Mm. and how they sound, if that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um... So let's talk about Balto himself, our our hero. Sexy half wolf, half dog. And tag. it really intrigued me when I read that um, Brendan Fraser was initially cast as Steel, mm. with Simon Wells wanting it to be kind of like a high school football jock who's a bit too like high off his own supply. Yeah. To me, when I read that, and then you start watching the film, and you start getting a sense that like, is this meant to kind of work more as a high school? Dog yeah. society because you've <laughs> yeah, got like the yeah. girls walking down the corridor having a chat and gossiping and yeah. still the rest of the football team coming back from the big it's like, game it's pink ladies so, and t-birds isn't yeah. It? yeah and then you've got um balto who's like the in the pat in the gang of outcasts yeah um probably smoking a joint behind the bins <laughs> <laughs> but he's got a heart of gold and and then, but then when it's like these very adult voices, you start thinking, are yeah. they meant to be 
adults rather than kind of like it's it's a weird structure and yeah. play that they start having and everything starts feeling a little out of place why does steel need to be so evil <laughs> why, why is he inherently thing. evil that's why i was also like is he though he's yeah. just someone who's yeah just, he's quite like he's got an ego <laughs> he's an and he's got a fragile yeah. ego and yeah. he's he's definitely afraid of like yeah. anyone kind of finding yeah. out that he he is well, afraid that's the, the one thing that i really give this film props for the one thing that i was like oh yes that was a correct decision was i was waiting for the scar simba showdown between steel and bolto when bolto returns to the end uh, to the city at the end but the actual quote-unquote defeat of steel was much more uh, petty. Yeah, I like that too. It was he was just shunned essentially. He yeah. was exposed for the fraud he is, and he was exposed as a little teeny tiny man behind the curtain. Yeah, so to speak. Did you know that they did storyboard a death, a final fight, and a death did. scene? Of course they did. Yeah, Where he, hang, he but gets hung, oh and I was about, oh god, I'm glad it's I just so, <laughs> it's so much more delicious that this big bravado, vicious little shit is revealed to be such a, a huckster. Yeah, and uh, you know, and everyone that's, that's that's the worst thing for that kind of person is to be mm-hmm. seen for what you are, and I found that quite effective. I did I was, find uh, that. I, I like that. Chuffed with the movie, yeah. Um, still, but it, imagine if that was, but him as a jock and not someone who's this elemental evil. If yeah. it was just someone who is a uh, predatory. Like, Jim, that's uh, why I think Jim Cummings' voice work feels really out of place with the. Like, he's good. He's good voice work, I, but he's, he's doing what he's clearly yeah. been asked. Yeah, to do by Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, but I would love to hear what yeah that phrase to take was because I I can picture it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also think Kevin Bacon is really miscast. He's just not there. Is He's he? not there, uh, and he plays it so stoically. Yeah. <laughs> and which is why, yeah, when you have scenes with him and Boris Kusinov and from the Phil Collins polar bear, who I don't think he ever talks to directly. Not really, no. Um, yeah, it, it's just different movies. Yeah. I, 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 again, I couldn't quite help but think it's like, what if you did cast like a like a actor in the late teens yeah. or a Devon Sawyer, yeah. if you will, yeah, yeah. as Balto and make it all a little bit younger. At least some of this kind of issues I'm having with some of the characterization. Like Joseph Gordon Levitt, imagine that. Because he'd have been around about the right age. Yeah, he, did, well, he did Treasure Planet in right, 2001, didn't he? So probably would have been a, a smidge too young. Particularly if they were recording in late ninety two. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Forgot about that little um aspect. But it is you are open with the the live action Miriam Margulies stuff. Then you change gears. Who to... was fifty at the time that's that they shot that? That's what I was thinking. That. They did a real and then they did, but it's really, really naff old person yeah, makeup yeah. as well. <laughs> real naff. We told you about Miriam Margulies story. Oh, please do. I can probably say this. Um, I can probably say this. Um, well, did you have to sign an NDA? No, 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 and no. Crack no. on. Yeah, work, uh, 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 it's as, time. <laughs> as you know, and the listeners might know, I work in the events team at the BFI, and every month we have the Mark Commode live show, and he has um, three guests on stage that are all surprises revealed on the day, and it's my job to get everyone there and get them in the green room and get them to rehearse on, you know, make sure everyone is on stage when they need to be. And uh, one of the guests one time was Miriam Margulies, who is now, now, even and now, is early still... Early 80s? Yeah, but she's still younger than the character she's playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been sat there for ages trying to do yeah. the maths. It's like, so it's 1925. <laughs> this woman's in her, yeah. early 80s. <laughs> but her, her team asked us to meet her cab. Oh. And, you know, Theatre Avenue that the BFI is on, on South Bank, it's very... It's, yeah. um, 
it's a cobbled street kind of thing. It's not very smooth. It's uh, it's bumpy. And I was wheeling her down there, and it was. I said, "Oh, I'm really sorry for the for the discomfort that this uh, this street has probably given you." She said, "Oh, don't apologise, dear boy. Every bump's a mini orgasm." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Within the first minute, <laughs> I thought, "Oh, everything I've heard about you is true." <laughs> That's delightful. <laughs> and we we. It was one of those, I think it was like a tube strike day, or it was a road works day, so getting a cab at the end of it was a nightmare. Mm. So me and my colleague were wheeling her all around Southbank trying to hail a black cab, and she was such a good sport. She's a, she seemed like a, That's a very funny, lovely person. Really funny image. As well. just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you and your co-worker just rolling around. <laughs> Mary John Hale, a black cap for Mary Margulies. <laughs> I won't make a habit of name dropping, I promise. <laughs> no, I loved it. <laughs> More. <laughs> Most of my stories are like, oh, I, I had to go and get some still water for X person. Boy, I had to <laughs> show Y person to the bathroom. <laughs> Very piddling stuff. But you have that live action opening, then you gear change into this high octane sled race. Quite and, like that opening sled race. But then you, it's quite dynamic. But then suddenly you're in a kitchen with a goose who you don't know. <laughs> I'm trying not to die. And like immediately three different tonalities, and you haven't even met the hero yet. Yeah. Why do they do this amalgamation? We're back to the same. It's got a framing device within a framing device within a framing device. Keep it simple. Yeah. Why just just tell the story? Why do you need to gouge it in so much? Because by the time you meet Bolte, you're like, I'm fed up with this shit. I've had enough. <laughs> trying to think what notes. That... Um, very weird hearing her with an American accent. Is my note on Mary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely yeah. old people makeup on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I did, I did like the because there's that nice kind of build up when it does transition into the animation because mm. you start off on quite like an open landscape and there's mountains in the distance and you just right, slowly yeah. get closer and closer into the mushes and the music starts building up. Yeah, and you've got this. I like the kind of dog point of view that you sometimes have in the sled runs. It's mm. a good sense of perspective. Um, they are very well animated when things are in movement like yeah. that. Um, and then it is when, as is sometimes often the case with animated films with talking animals, it's kind of made or, made or, made or broken by the point when they just start talking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it did break pretty quickly for me as soon as they started talking. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just to build on what you were just saying, and we'll say a few quite nice things about the film. I think it is the moments that it works are uniformly when people aren't talking yeah. and, it, and, and when they are in fact moving. Like the one scene that I found very striking was the bear attack. Yeah, the the design of that. Yeah, thing. yeah, very expressionistic. Yeah, very um, very almost almost like um, Gendy Tartakovsky who did mm. Samurai Jack and uh, the Clone Wars animated series. Hotel Transylvania. Hotel <laughs> <Hotel> Transylvania, <laughs> but very much that kind of. Harshly drawn, yeah, quick and just bursts like, of action and kind of shaded with like really, like as you say, expressionistic, mm. like shards of light. So yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. These very sharp orange highlights on this fur, and it's kind of really quite scary. Yeah, and it's also a good pivot scene because it goes from the the way the adventure builds up is like Balto's going to go and find steel and bring the medicine. Yeah, but then for whatever reason, Boris and the Two polar bears decide to come with him. Then the bear attack happens. 
Jenna turns up and you're like, okay, well, at least like Jenna's going to get involved in the action. And she does for a bit and then hurts her paw. And and then Boris and the two polar bears go home as well. Well, that's the, at least that's the one good thing yeah, about it. It does become that kind of solo yeah. adventure. And um, Balto seemingly trying to convince the audience that he is in this to save the little girl Rosie. But like you said, he's in it just to impress the girl that he fancies. <laughs> and the the way the, the kind of the adventure built up for me felt like a lot of approaches stop and starting yes because oh, um, yeah. I, I feel like there was often it feels like the remnants of discussions being like should he be by himself <laughs> he should probably have some people <laughs> yeah. around that, but he should probably be by himself when he gets there eventually right so, I guess so. <laughs> so should we just hand off the psychic kind of comic yeah. relief to these other guys yeah yeah <laughs> We've got Phil Collins. He's doing a day's work. We've got to get his, got to get his worth out of him. Have him tag along. Yeah. So then what? Go home. So the psychics are, are clearly something that hasn't worked for you. you had they didn't work me. for me. They didn't work for me. Um, bizarre casting. Phil Collins as two polar bears. Do we know One, how that came to be? Uh, I, I'm going to assume he was mates with Spielberg at the time because he's in that cameo in Hook as well. Oh, of course. Which would have been if this was. One's hook, 90. It's 92, isn't it? That's no, that's not as enough. 91. 91. So, yeah, and then say so he recorded his bits in 92. Mm. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. But no, I have very little patience for uh, wacky animated sidekicks. And, and then... I, I have very little patience for ones who just aren't funny. Yeah. Or, and I, I like the general idea of like having... Balto mm. characterizes this outcast who kind of yeah, has this yeah. little makeshift. All the freaks and geeks. Yeah, who like Boris, who's just not flying with the rest of the the geese, and these two polar bears who are shunned by other polar bears because they're afraid of the sea. Yeah. Um. On paper, that's quite a nice it idea, works all right? If you're gonna do it, then. But again, yeah. why the is it Phil Collins coming out of the mouth of a polar bear? Why is he doing your voice like yeah, this? What's why that about? Honestly, those characters become much more charming if it's like, again, a kid or like yeah. to someone a bit younger. What if they were Bob Hoskins? Yeah, that probably would. I, I don't mind Bob Hoskins working here. It's just the character's written badly. There's one thing, I, I you know, I laugh at most Russian things. Listeners course. of the podcast will know that I find most things funny. Um, but just one thing I just can never get my head around is is non-Russian people doing or non-Eastern European people doing generic generic Eastern European accent. Isn't that funny? It, yeah. the, the, it's the meerkat thing, isn't it? Simples. <laughs> Maybe it's like fifteen years of being bludgeoned to death with the marketing for um, compare the market. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's not worked on me. Hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> But I just, I, I really have an, I just not have an aversion to it. I just don't find it funny in the slight, and it just kills me dead. It just yeah. leaves me cold. So it's annoying in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> I am goose. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I do get what you mean, and it does. Again, it just feels like an attempt of trying to. Because what is he trying to fill the Zazu? I feel like it's Zazu because he is the sort of the the voice of reason slash yeah. conscience. Kind of a kind of a heel, yeah. But still there for him when it counts. Mm-hmm. Bit of Sebastian in there as Bit well. Of Sebastian in there. Little Who do bit you of a think? Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think uh, is the most successful of that kind of character from the time? Hmm. 
That's a good question. Because obviously, it, when it's done well, you don't really notice it because it works. So I, I feel like uh, I think probably Sebastian. Probably Sebastian. No, I think. About yeah. It. I don't like Zazu very much, and Sebastian seems to have the most forbearing on the yeah on the story. Yeah. Who do we have in? Um, I guess Beauty and the Beast has Cogsmith and Lumiere. Yeah, they're kind of that role, aren't they? And he's so weird in those movies because they 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 are very kind of somber, almost like prestige pictures. Mm. But the little bits of comedy work because there's somehow that other piece with the with the overall thing. Well, and the characterizations feel. The characterizations, like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's what it is. The characterizations feel of a piece. Yeah, and they work in. And they're flow. cast to fit. Yeah, it's not just going like. Yeah, oh, Phil Collins. <laughs> yeah, just we have Phil Collins. A... <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> well, we got two polar bears knocking around. I'll give them the polar bears. Yeah, yeah. Because like I watched a clip of uh, Balto two wolf quest um yes. and there's a scene where like um he's talking to his daughter about his wolf heritage and he's like saying how his sad upbringing is like my father left me and i never knew my wolf mother um and then he's like so i guess i turned out all right for a wolf dog raised by a goose and i was a bit like wait you were raised by this goose <laughs> is that in the first film is that kind of well, i don't know but i when, just figured they were pals <laughs> when i was um when i was writing the synopsis of this it does say yeah um uh, i didn't mention this in the bit that i wrote was he raised by the goose in 1925 bolto this is from wikipedia a wolf dog hybrid lives on the outskirts of Nome with his, with his adoptive father a russian <laughs> snow goose named boris i wonder if i didn't get a fatherly thing at all i just got sort of um slightly older mate yeah a concerned neighbor Concerned Polly and uh, Rocky or uh, Mickey and Rocky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, someone's uh, been watching the Rockies on, in uh, <laughs> preparation for Creed 3, haven't they? I'm very excited for this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do think it's a it's a disconnect between character characterization on the script and voice yeah. casting that really yeah. leads to a lot of the characters just not working at all. It's so weird. And it speaks to that thing of, I forget where I... Did someone spoke about this. I know this is the vaguest thing I can say, but the, the point at which animated films stop being voiced by voice actors and start right, being yeah. chock full of Celebs. celebrities. It's like the ants. Shrek. I mean, DreamWorks oh, might yeah, well be a... Dreams, DreamWorks is big, the one that does yeah. it. Because even if you think about uh, A Bug's Life, Dave Foley voices Flick. Julie Louis-Dreyfus has made one of the bigger names in there. David Hyde Pierce. Kevin it's Spacey. Kevin, mm, Richard Kind. They're not... Kind. They're character actors. Yeah. And it's really funny. It's really... And it's really... Vocally, it's got a lot of personality and character. And they all work... Yeah. As a great ensemble in that film. And then Ants does that weird thing where it tries yeah. to make that Ants look like the people... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. There's a best of Woody Allen and Sly and Dan- Danny Glover. It's Gene absolutely Hatton. crazy. Yeah, oh my God. And Bancroft as an ant queen. But there is... Yeah. But something is lost in that. When you just... And, and you feel that loss in this film when you just chuck in big names just because... Yeah. When you don't cast people because they have the skills and the chops. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Billy West who was talking about this. You know, the voice of Fry in Future. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a a voice actor spoken about about this this whole, this trend. To say it's a trend, this thing that happened 30 or so years ago. (laughs) You feel the loss. Maybe even the Renaissance is is to do with that, to be honest with you. The Robin Williams and Aladdinization. That does kind of start building it in. But for the most part, those Renaissance films never really. Not not quite. I mean, Zazu's Rowan Atkinson. 
which yeah i guess the, that, the lion king's quite starry lion Queen, lion King's, i mean i think the main voice acting in lion king but i mean simba as an adult particularly matthew broderick is just yeah. a nothing yeah. in that film <laughs> <laughs> but i suppose little mermaid's got a, the who voices sebastian um he's a voice artist and singer i can't remember his name well that's, that's no. exactly yeah. it isn't it he's sebastian it's the same that's with like Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Voice artist. Um, Andrew Lansbury's the, the, yeah. the biggest name in that. But yeah, all those just work with the fabric of the film and they don't stand out. Whereas in this, like you say, there is a layer. It's like the film's a blister. Yeah. <laughs> There's a layer of water in between the skin and the... And it's quite interesting to then compare it to the film that is responsible for sinking it at the box office. Yeah. Where you have Toy Story that's kind of hoping for the st- a star pairing to kind of help bring people into this new thing that yeah. looks a bit different. But, but Tom well. Hanks recorded that t- before he won two Oscars. He recorded yeah. it like 1993 <laughs> when true. he was a former SNL guy trying to go serious. So was Tim <laughs> Allen the, the He was the home improvement guy. Star? He was the home improvement Yeah, but that's <laughs> it. But they weren't stars. That's the thing. They, they, were, they, were, they were in that Julie Louis-Dreyfus. I mean, Julie Louis-Dreyfus in Bugs Life was, uh, you could argue, at the time of recording, a bigger star. Sorry, it's a I, well, I, found it so, I found it so funny. You just said Bugs Life. <laughs> Bugs Life? <laughs> My Stephen Toast pronunciation. <laughs> Julie Louis Dreyfus. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite um, favorite discoveries was that Tom Hanks recorded. Yeah. Woody <laughs> won two won two Oscars. Then the movie came, came out. out. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. But this, I, I can tell already. Like this wider conversation, we're both getting much more excited about talking about than we are the main thing. And throughout our friendship and throughout the times that you and I have tried to brainstorm podcast ideas before we finally landed on this, we did talk about doing a podcast or at least like an episode about the what we call the animation schism of the late mm. 90s, early noughties. And this is right on the precipice of that, isn't it? It's in a weird it's spot very of it, interesting. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And what we, what we define, listeners, as the, the animation schism is that weird when the renaissance started to break away and when general audiences stopped showing up for cell animated films like mm. this and and people were struggling to catch up with Pixar, there were a lot of weird and wonderful things came to the fore, like uh, Emperor's New Groove and some of the in-betweeny Disney ones like Atlantis, which we have a big soft spot for. Yeah. Road to Eldorado, some of the weirder DreamWorks ones with Katzenberg at the helm, uh, Prince of Egypt. Yeah. A lot of weird and wonderful stuff started Iron coming Giant. Through. Iron Giant. Iron Giant, in that. The, the jewel and the crown of that era. Um, do you, so do, do, you, do you see this film as a forebearer to that general sense of confusion that history has afforded us looking back on this time as having... History has afforded this time as being guilty of? It's a good question. Um, yes and no. Because mm-hmm. I just don't think... Because a lot of those other ones that we just mentioned there weren't very successful. No. But they were very good. <laughs> they, they, they almost felt like people being allowed to get away with something they wouldn't otherwise yeah. have been allowed to get Balto away with. Balto just feels like... It feels like a bit of a attempt to strive for something that's a bit grander than what they've done before in the mm. hope of it leading to further greater things. But all the pieces aren't quite there yet and but they have to 
have it out yeah. by Christmas 1995. It just feels so far behind the curve. Yeah. I was almost embarrassed watching Bolto, just how much it's, how desperate it is to play catch mm. up and have. Because even on top of the. I, I'm trying to think, like, because Toy Story would have taken people a bit by surprise, mm. being as well as it did. But the other, just looked it up here, the other big animated movie that year. Because this and... was seventh, wasn't it, in G rated. This was the seventh, the seventh most successful G rated movie of 1995. Yeah, so I wonder the, what the other. The other big animated movie and the big Disney movie of the year was Pocahontas. Right. It's quite interesting when you kind of consider that they're both. Mm. Have it got a similar approach in terms of taking a based on fact yeah. a tale with cute animals and uh, I was about to say songs, but Balto isn't a musical. Would it be improved well, by being a musical? It has got Probably one song. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> like Steve Winwood. <laughs> but yeah, it, it. I think part of it is that it it's starting to feel like it's it does feel like it's trying to catch up, mm. and even when you compare the way, and yes. Um, Pocahontas, I imagine, had a lot bigger budget to oh. work with. Let's have a quick look. I'm going to guess at least twice. The 55 million and... This was 30? 30. Yeah. Okay, something like so, But still quite a lot more. And that's, um, I mean, I don't like Pocahontas, but it's a gorgeous movie. It, it all, looks incredible, yeah, when you yeah. kind of consider how... And I think Bolto does look really good in mm. spots. I mentioned Bear Fight. Mm. There's, I think, a very good scene where they're trying to cre- creep through an ice cave mm, yeah. and then they make too much noise and spikes start falling down from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, that's a really good chase sequence. That yeah. It has a nice blend of kind of CG approach to animation and your traditional 2D. Yeah. The action moves in a nice. And I guess that's what tunes afford you the chance to do mm. to meld those two, to, to, to blur those two things together. And I do like this era of animation for that reason, because you, the 3D, so the CGI is masked beneath the, cell animation blanket quite nicely and it does afford like I, 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 another film that's part of this schism is Titan AE which I haven't seen mm. for a long time but I always do think back very fondly to because that's, and that's like got a very abrasively like yeah very the two divides of yeah. style yeah it's really really interesting the way that uses a blue joint yeah <laughs> you should also point out at this time was trying once again to forge his own studio and was not having a good time mm. What, what, what was of, that one? Was that well? We had like Tron Central Park, yeah, Fumbelina. Well, and this is a couple of years. I guess he was working pre-production for Anastasia at this point. Oh yeah, which was a big hit. Yeah, which was a big hit. Um, Did, was that in the wake of Titanic that came out? Or was that before Titanic? It's a good question. I want to say I always associate those two films because that Anastasia feels kind of like kind of an animated feel. Titanic I wanna, vibe. Was it the same year? It was the same mm-hmm. year. Yeah, um, I feel like they were both December releases. Anastasia feels very wintry, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, November. Nice. Oh, so just just before. I think just I think it was December. But, but totally. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just, I I do feel bad for Balto, both the real dog, because he didn't <laughs> he didn't ask for any of that of that shit, and just generally as there's just a lot of decisions being made on the character level both in the design yeah. and the casting and then for the story itself to kind of squander a very interesting story granted to go down avenues which on paper are more kid friendly but there's a more exciting adventure movie to be made out of this story definitely there um, is we've we've 
Brainstorm 2 in the in the production notes bit of the yeah. episode. The romance is fine. Did you have any particular strong thoughts about Jenna? I liked Jenna. She was hot. She was a she was a good looking dog style and after Audrey Hepburn. Hepburn. <laughs> um again they do the very Lion King thing of like that their embrace just has to be neck rubbing. <laughs> And doomy eyes. That's one of my notes. Yeah, do- dog doomy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you make dogs snog? Really? Yeah, it's a question that's plagued the greats. And like, again, I'm feeling I'm I'm sounding sifeful and deflect a bit deflated. Yeah, because it's generally how I think a lot of people behind the film yeah. kind of feel. Even like the James Horner score just isn't quite operating on the same level. The Steve Winwood song. Written and it wasn't with... Phil Collins. Oh. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Phil Collins. Because when he started singing, I thought it doesn't sound like Phil Collins, but it, it almost does. It has to be him. Like, you've got him in the film. Mm. This must be why. But no. <laughs> but no. Steve Winwood. <laughs> he was too busy working on his uh, Tarzan material. Well, glad he saved those bangers. To be fair, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> wincing I'm not going to do it I promise <laughs> um, but I guess a nice way to kind of sum up around this let's think back on the legacy of Amblimation yeah that's nice because um, this nice. is the last one it's not the last animated film that Amblin are responsible for but we won't see another animated film until I believe Monster House which spoiler alert well I haven't seen that for a long time no I haven't seen that in my memory that that movie's fucking great so So, Amblimation yeah they don't touch the animated realms again Mm. for quite some time Um, licking wounds meanwhile in parallel DreamWorks Animation was becoming this well yeah even they had a pretty rocky road coming out of the gates yeah yeah Arguably, with some quite interesting films like Prince yeah. of Egypt. Imagine seeing Prince, Prince of Egypt, Egypt these days. Yeah, I love that film. Yeah, yeah, that's one I want. To... Again, Simon Wells, mm. his career. By the way, I'm so curious because he did that. They did the Time Machine, and then yes. he capped it off with Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> Was that the last of the Zemeckis mocap movies? Yes, I think so. God, crazy. Yeah. But yeah, weirdly, DreamWorks Animation started off doing some really interesting shit in that mm. animation schism with Egypt and El Dorado, and then hit gold. Quite literally. Quite first literally. animated film to yep. win an Oscar. Best animated Screen to can. Screen to can. <laughs> Shrek to can. <laughs> I, read this, I read this book recently about the founding of DreamWorks, and they talk extensively, obviously, in that book about Shrek. And I mean... A part of me wishes that we were doing Shrek on this because the long road to Shrek was fascinating. <laughs> You're into it, yeah. Um, and, and, and like the lead time was much longer than I realized—a mm. good five or so years. But he talked about the premiere at Cannes, and everyone was sitting in the Grand Palais <laughs> watching this green ogre wipe his ass and fart. <laughs> and apparently, the executives were just sitting in their tuxedos with their heads in their hands. What have we done? <laughs> what have we done? Yeah. And then half a billion dollars later. Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> but sorry, Amblimation. Yeah. Started off with the noblest of intentions. Yeah. But my personal assessment from the three films that we, that got out the gate of this was a sen- is a sense of not really understanding the 
means in which an animated film needs to be put together. Yeah. Um, and it's I know it's like fairly common practice for animation studios to have like two or three films going on at the same time, mm. but largely with like the, Disney do that because they have the staff and the creative teams to do so. Mm. I'm not quite sure animation ever was at the scale to be able to do that. <laughs> no, and it does show in the work. I think um, it does as much as there are some gorgeous moments of animation that it just, just feel like it, they all share qualities of something that's not been quite given enough time to allow it to breathe to animation sorted to get the casting right. Yeah. It, yeah. They all f- slightly feel like, and this is the one that feels the least like a rush to the finish line, but they all, yeah. They all feel like they're out of breath before they even <laughs> <Yeah>. get going. It's <laughs> a very good way to put it. And that, that's Amblimation as a whole, you can say that too as well. It's yeah. exhausted out of the gate. And there's something uniquely um, tragic about this animation studio that was you know, essentially started, maybe if not by Don Bluth, certainly inspired by a Bluth creation who mm. himself was largely defined by his breakaway from Disney, who he was fed up with. And to see the thing that, that came out of this break from Disney eventually kind of go, oh, right, and give up to, to Disney. Yeah. It's such a you know inevitable late capitalist tragedy. Yeah. I guess it's a, like there is a lot House of House always ifs. wins. Yeah, there's a lot of what ifs here. Mm. What if the Renaissance hadn't happened? What if Pixar didn't make Toy Story? Yeah. What if... Um, there wasn't a snowstorm that weekend of yeah. Thanksgiving. Would everybody have gone to see were back a dinosaur story? <laughs> what if Bluth had stayed? And what if Bluth had What if been, Bluth had stayed? What if he'd headed up Amblimation? Because I think you do need a strong uh, personality or a, a strong visionary mm. at the head of an animation studio. Think about, you know, lots of hugging Lasseter at Pixar mm. and the, the team heading up that. Even Katzenberg in the Renaissance or Katzenberg yeah. who sort of dragged the DreamWorks animation mm. through. Because you even think about like the, we've talked about it in particularly the Casper episode. Phil, Phil Nibelink was the supervising animation director on that whilst also overseeing mm. the direction of We're Back a Dinosaur Story and the development of Cats and Jesus. checking in on yeah. Simon Wells' work and both the, can't do that. <laughs> so, I mean, so you can count on one hand. Yes, you can. Spielberg could do that. Yeah, Spielberg is a man who can just. He, he These can guys were just like but very, very accomplished animators. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. Like clearly have talent. But yeah, I, I do think it's, it's the whole amblimation legacy for me just feels a bit much of a, a little bit of wrong yeah. place, wrong time. Yeah, sure. And yeah, not for lack of ambition. No, man. We spoke about, um, I think it was in Casper with Mike, about how that film stressed out um, Alex Proyas because it yeah. was they, it was very, very fly by the seat of your pants. And if you aren't on board with that, then you're not going to be able to make it work. And Brad Silberlin clearly is someone who was, but that just seems like Amblin's ethos as a whole. You know, well, if it's Spielberg's brainchild, so of course mm-hmm. it's like that very erratic, very open to late changes, very kind of, you know, Roll with the punches. Fly by the seat of your pants. And the films that really succeeded in Amblin are the ones that have people at the helm who can roll with that. But like we've said before, in animation, 
You can't do that. You can't do that, <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> so maybe it was dealed. But uh, it, it's made for an interesting avenue to mm. kind of go down. Totally. Um, in this, in this, uh, in this journey, because these are films that, like you know, I've not, not thought about them since childhood for the most part, mm. and. <laughs> if, it, if you are thinking like if you haven't watched it back and uh you are thinking about kind of reconnecting with some of these it's probably best to leave them warmly and fondly yeah. in the past unless you've got a particularly strong connection to any of them yeah because even though it's become it's such a 90s curiosity particularly for that generation of kids who grew up with them on video and they <laughs> yeah. clearly were successful on video but i guess it kind of comes back back to the very thing that buried them is that they offered something a bit different to the Disney playbook, particularly yeah. at that time. But at a time where those appetites were very much being quite fulfilled by mm-hmm. what Disney were putting out. And I don't know. It's just... It, I feel bad for it, but it is yeah. it's just like a a fascinating failure. It is <laughs> as an a enterprise. Noble failure. Mm-hmm. I get, it even happens to DreamWorks a little bit. Mm. In the same way you can have this initial initial boom. Yeah. It's a little getting off the ground, initial boom, and then starts peeing her out. Mm. And which it, it's happened. The Madagascar and the... take over and taken over it again. Always comes back to Disney. Always comes back. But on that note, there is a sliver of hope in that Quantumania had a colossal drop off. True. <laughs> Second, <week. laughs> it's still four hundred million dollars <laughs> in the bank. <laughs> when you put it like that, <laughs> it's all futile. But yeah, I think Amblimation overall stands as. One of the many examples, particularly in yeah. animation film history, of how hard it is to go up against the Mouse House, and it's yeah. just how hard an industry it is to really craft something, yeah. chisel out something for yourself. Yeah. R.I.P. Amblimation. R.I.P. Amblimation. Nineteen eighty nine <laughs> to nineteen ninety seven. Those are the official dates. <laughs> <laughs> Which, thankfully, both Balto and Togo lived longer than. Ah, that's nice. (laughs) Trying to bring it back. Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment invite you to join Steel. Touch that box, and I'll tear you apart. Caltag and Star. Hey, this is gonna be good. Muck and luck. Well, of course we were. We were in the water. We were moving. We were swimming. And Boris. I was so scared. I got Uh. equal bumps. On an incredible adventure into the heart of a hero. (laughs) Not Doug, not Wolf. You're a hero. Balto. So we did put out the feelers for any uh, musher enthusiasts who might have something to say about Bol- Balto, but 
the well ran dry once more. We're in a bit of a dry spot. <laughs> um, but we do have a letterbox review from a previous guest of the podcast, Reese Edwards, which reads. Nah. <laughs> Two and a half stars. Putting <laughs> that MA in film to good work. Yeah. Nah. Um, Sometimes. Nah. Yeah. Sometimes just nah. <laughs> um, all right, then. I think that brings us up to uh, an end on our episode of Bolter. Yeah, let's put Bolto to bed. Let's put Bolto to bed. Come on, come on, come on, boy. <laughs> come on. No, I said it's a taxi, not a taxidermist. <laughs> I, I, I mimed loading my shotgun oh, and I realised that it was a, an audio medium. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, I also see that Barry uh, Levitt, who is our former oh, yes. blues head, has given this two and a half stars on Letterboxd too. So I imagine he... Has similar thoughts. A similar way, yeah. But um, we hope you have enjoyed our episode on Balto, um, and we hope you come back next time for a much more pulse-pounding oh, yes. ride. Yeah, baby. For in our next episode, we'll be chasing the storm as we track down Jan de Bont's 1996 action thriller <gasps> Twister. <gasps> Is this our first Bill Paxton? First and only. Phil. <laughs> it might be, you know. <sighs> Starring the aforementioned Bill Patterson and Helen Hunt. Yeah, also You can already tell how much more excited I am by the prospect of doing a Twister episode. I haven't seen it in years. I'm very excited to watch it again. And if you fancy watching Twister along with us and don't have it on disc, it is available to rent or buy digitally from Amazon, Apple, Google, Rakuten TV, Microsoft, Sky Store, and YouTube. If you want a bit of Yanderbont directorial context, his debut film at the helm, Speed, is on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so much more than Die Hard in a bus. <laughs> We're gonna watch Speed before we twist yeah. her. Debont double. Debont double. And we'll stop at Twister. <laughs> <laughs> Why does it go after Twister? Speed two cruise control. Oh, didn't realize he returned for Speed two cruise control. And then um. Lara Croft Tomb Raider, The Cradle of Life. Yeah. The Haunting. The Haunting. Oh, The Haunting. That is one. Oh, man. Oh, I could watch The Haunting again. I've never seen The Haunting. Oh, Cradle of Life was his last one. Is he dead? Jan de Bont? No, No, he's he's still alive. He's just old. He just went back to to the Netherlands. He was meant to make... uh, There's a couple of films that I'm sure we'll get on to Godzilla. He was meant to make Godzilla. He was meant to make Minority Report. That's, that's right, yes. That's so right. It, it will be the first Yander Bond thing we'll be talking about, but it certainly will not be the last with these tangential connections. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, first two Yander Bond films, a lot of fun. So check them out. If you've got any thoughts on Twister or indeed Speed, mm. then do tweet us at ramblinamblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com. That is ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com and share your thoughts, however big or small. However, um, under or over 55 commas per hour. The Americans do things. They have the imperial (laughs) system. And uh, while you're there, also, give us a little like and a subscribe. Uh, Tell your mates. And if you have time or the inclination, give us a review. We would be very happy. Yes, it does all help. Um, It all helps. 
So, yes, we hope you join us next time to go on a ride with Twister. Um, until and, then. And speed. <laughs> yeah, and, and speed. speed. <laughs> Just really budget like that. But watch both. Watch both. Because we'll talk about both. <laughs> Love speed. Suck <laughs> it. Pop quiz hot shot. <laughs> and, and, and generally scared me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Now I know the thrill that James Acaster gets when he's <laughs> like, away! Uh, anyway. Uh, I've been Andy Godian. I've been Joshua Glenn. And together we have been rambling and ambling podcast all about Balto. Please join us next time for our episode on Twister. Until then, take care and all the best. Nobody gets off this bus! <laughs> Can't believe I said all the best. <laughs> Can we cards? <laughs>